Are we ready to rumble? War. Iran and Trump. The Fury Theory starts right now. The Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. John Easton, should we go to war with Iran? We shouldn't, and we won't. Uh, it, Iran's been a, an enemy of the United States for, what, over 40 years? And uh, there have been a lot worse flashpoints than we're experiencing right now. But I'll tell you, if, if there's going to be a military option here that's, that will be pursued, President Trump's going to need a lot of support, a lot more than he has right now. Adam Delmar, do you agree with that? I think for the sake of safety, we should assume that it is actually quite high. Uh, so I disagree. John Easton, so you got Mitt Romney saying, let the Saudis handle this. You got Lindsey Graham saying, hey, listen, we need to be very aggressive. Appeasement is not a strategy. We need to be very, very aggressive with Iran and probably lead the any kind of military operations. You're the Senate expert. You worked for a hawk in Kelly Ayotte. Uh, where do you think the bulk of the Republicans in the Senate are? Yeah, I think it's been changing a little bit. Uh, I think that the consensus view among the Republican caucus and the Senate is actually drifting toward Mitt Romney's view that was expressed a couple days ago. And I think that's partly because their constituents are less hawkish than they used to be. And I think it's partly because Donald Trump has ushered in a new cautiousness in Republican foreign policy. And I think some of this could be a hangover, part of a hangover of the Iraq war. And and some of it is just pure Trump populism, that um, he's just not inclined to get involved, does not want to get involved in intervention, in the mid- especially the Middle East. So, John Easton, uh, going to Adam Belmar here, but I think you're right. The president says he doesn't want war. But, Adam, does that make it more likely we're going to get war? I mean, you know, the fact is the Iranians are kind of taking advantage of him, aren't they? I think the president's been playing fast and loose with his comments uh, around these kind of situations for a long time. He started off with, we're locked and loaded, and then he backed off. He just got rid of his national security advisor and John Bolton. Um, I am also not altogether sure that Mitt Romney and Lindsey Graham are that far apart. What I heard of Senator Graham's remarks was a need, a desire to have someone punch the Iranians, not necessarily us. And of course, what Senator Romney is saying is that uh, the, the Iranians hit the Saudis, and the Saudis should hit back. I mean, this is not our first foray in what would be a proxy war, but I do fall on the side of Mitt Romney that A, they were hit and not us. I would describe it as an act of war. Um, and what response it deserves, well, that needs to be considered and, and all of the calculus around it. But uh, Donald Trump's not helping us as a country or himself as an administration when he's all over the map with his rhetoric. Uh, John Easton, you said something very important, I think. You said we've largely been at war or in a hostile arrangement with the Iranians for a long time. It hasn't been a hot war. There's been a lot of things that we have done to really kind of up the pressure on the Iranians economically. And there are other things that we could do that don't mean missiles. They, there are other options. Um, talk to me a little about what are those options? Well, I think this is where I think Adam hits the nail on the head about Donald Trump's diplomacy and what comes out of his mouth. Because if this escalates and, and there needs to be a carefully calculated strategy here, um, he's got to stop running his mouth. I mean, for instance, I think this was yesterday or, or two days ago, he said a lot of things can happen, rough things and not so rough <laughs> things. What does that mean? So if, if there's going to be, say, a surgical strike, uh, maybe led by the Saudis, but everybody knows it's got our fingerprints on it, 
um, he's got a he's got a quiet down on on the you know riffing from the cuff when he walks out on the south lawn his way to Marine One to fly off. That's almost the worst thing he can do in this situation. He's got to do something decisive and probably without words if 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 he's going to strike. And and the other thing too, and I brought this up earlier, it's just he's got to bring Congress in on this uh, because if they have some ownership, particularly Speaker Pelosi, if they if they have some ownership in this, then. Um, this is something that, that can be an American effort, not just a Donald Trump effort. Uh, that's an excellent point. Uh, talking about the administration, uh, Adam Bellman, you worked for the Bush administration. Uh, Micah Pompeo seemed to get uh, pretty far ahead of the president on this. He said, yes, it's the Iranians. Yes, this is an act of war. And kind of seemed to imply that, hey, we're going to kick some ass and take names. Um, the president kind of walked a lot of those things back, a lot of those comments back. You talked a little bit about John Bolton. There's a, a new uh, NSA uh, head. That's right. The president has gone ahead and uh, named the successor to Ambassador Bolton as the National Security Advisor, a fellow by the name of Robert O'Brien. I didn't know a great deal about him, um, and I, I went and looked at his resume. Impressive as it is, there is one thing that really struck me that I wanted to share with you all today. The president loves a good resume. But what the president loves more than a good resume is, what have you done for me? Mm -hmm. What do I know about you personally? Well, all I needed to know was the president is way up on O'Brien because he's the guy that he sent to go deal with uh, ASAP Rocky. Uh, ASAP Rocky is a rapper. Yeah. And he got caught up uh, with some problems in Sweden. That's right. O'Brien is like the chief hostage negotiator or what have you. <laughs> and the president sent him off to uh, go fix the ASAP Rocky situation. And, so and that's did, good enough did, for me. Did he fix the ASAP Rocky situation? I think the ASAP Rocky situation solved itself. But the president's taking credit, and he's very proud of the guy he sent to do the job. So clearly he's qualified for the rest of this. Now, I'm trying to, I'm listening to some Dr. Dre in the morning, which mm -hmm. I, you know, gets me going when I'm on the treadmill. Uh, but I've never heard of ASAP Rocky. Well, as it turns out, I hadn't heard of ASAP Rocky <laughs> either, but my... Uh, uh, 15-year-old son's very first concert at the Anthem here in Washington, D.C. was ASAP Rocky. Yeah. So we support you, Mr. President. Thank you. Um, in all seriousness, with Bolton uh, now taking hard swipes to the president, uh, concurrent to Secretary of State Pompeo being in uh, Saudi Arabia speaking with the crown prince, I'm very excited to know that we are willing to put out definitive pieces of information that that we say prove that the Iranians did this. The Saudis have put out the wreckage of some of the drones that were used. This is important. These were unmanned aircraft that dropped precision munitions in combination with Tomahawk missiles that were launched from Iranian soil. They wanted to change caps. They wanted this thing to be at arm's reach so that they could have deniability. Well, you know what? We do the same thing sometimes as well. This is starting to look like a proxy war to me. So, John Easton, I, I watched this, the latest Spider-Man movie, hmm. and uh, they had a whole scene with a bunch of drones that came in and started shooting. I mean, drones are all the rage. Drones are all the rage. The level of sophistication, I mean, the, the Hooties uh, were the ones who were claiming responsibility, and they're known for their drone capabilities. But this is pretty, pretty impressive what they were able to do. It's, it's the new warfare. It is, but uh, I don't think that this was Houthi's uh, sophistication because I don't think it exists at that level. So is it Houthi's or Houthi's? I it's, can, it's Houthi's. It's Houthi's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where'd happen the blowfish? What's that? Is it Houthi's and the blowfish? <laughs> it's not different. <laughs> All right, so uh, 
and the American people, by and large, do not want us to blunder into a new war in the Middle East. I, I, I try to read the comments on Facebook and on all these types of things, and that's the overwhelming sentiment that I get. No more wars in the Middle East. But on the other hand, we don't like the Iranians kind of poking the, their fingers in our eye and kind of provoking us uh, at all these different... I mean, they're, they're harassing the oil ships, they're uh, bombing our allies, they're uh, launching uh, terrorist attacks against Israel. Um, you know, where do we fall on this? The, the American people... I think my own personal opinion is when uh, oil prices go up a lot, then they start to get really pissed off. Um, But I still think the sentiment is overwhelming with the president. We don't really want to blunder into another Middle East war. Yeah, I think that's where we are right now. I I, I think to your point about, you know, where is that line with Americans? I think the line is they don't want to be embarrassed by another country. And, yeah, I, I suppose getting pushed around. I do think, though, that Americans are, are intuitive enough, smart enough to know that the, the Middle East is such a hornet's nest and that if we get further involved, it's like a nine-sided situation uh, that Donald Trump is going to have to somehow decode and figure out. I mean, it, it, has, um, it has been a problem for every president. It's going to be a problem for every president past Donald Trump. And we have been a stabilizing force in that in that region. I think that's Lindsey Graham's point, is that we just can't step away from being that stabilizing force in the Middle East region. And we have a very close ally in Israel that's not far away. So uh, that's why this gets so complicated in that every move, every action, of course, there's a reaction out of the Middle East. And I think that where Romney, I think, kind of had it right was, well, the best thing we can do right now is help. Saudi Arabia with a response and, you know, perhaps with technology, perhaps with weaponry, but it's not, you know, it's not the United States in there doing it. So it's it's that all over again. And I, I agree with that. Um, keep this a regional conflict. Make sure it doesn't go beyond the regional conflict. And there's some kind of way to have balance there. Uh, Adam Belmar talking about Israel, big election in Israel. It seems that Bibi is right on the cusp of winning again, although it's pretty tight. Uh, how does this play into um, this Iranian situation, do, do the Israelis, Israelis want us to lead a charge or do they want the Saudis to lead the charge? I, I really don't have an answer in terms of the Israeli government's posture about who takes the lead. They're clearly uh, folks who take defense more seriously than almost any other nation on the planet for good reason. I think they're shaking their heads that the Saudis weren't protected enough as if this threat was not known. I mean, this is exactly what they should have been preparing for when we when we think about uh, you know what defense is. And, and the Israelis do that quite capably with Iron Dome and um, you know other anti-missile defenses that the U.S. has provided. Um, Secondarily, I would just say, uh, going back to what uh, John Easton had said, back in 2001, 2002, when the United States Congress uh, gave an AUMF, an authorization of uh, military force, to President Bush, others have operated under that authority, uh, President Obama included there. This is something altogether different. Besides the politics, 
there is something that's truly necessary, I think, for Congress to step up, to be heard, to mm. reflect the voice and moderation in the Senate uh, and the feelings of the American people before we run off half-cocked and let the president do something that he does not have military uh, authorization from the Congress to fund or to execute. But, you know, John Easton, I actually think the president is more of a moderating force than some members of Congress mm -hmm. on, on these types of things. He's like, listen... I don't want a war. I want to stay out of this. And some folks will say, hey, you got to step up. you got to show that we, we're strong. you got to show that we're going to be around. Otherwise, we're going to get pushed around. And more importantly, our allies are going to get pushed around. Is that the kind of the message from Congress? I think so. And I think Donald Trump has a little bit of an Achilles heel here. Because remember, when he was elected, everybody thought that, oh, this guy with his finger on the trigger. I mean, we are, we are dead. I mean, he's going to actually drive us into oblivion because um, he now has control of the military. <laughs> and the opposite really proved true. He doesn't really want to get involved anywhere unless we absolutely positively have to. So I, and I just I think if he unilaterally does something, um, you know, he is ripe to, to pick apart from the Democrats in Congress. I mean, it, they're waiting for him to do this and to weaken him in 2020, to weaken his, um, his, his leverage, to weaken his standing. Uh, as a commander in chief, and that's why I just think it's it's more more than past presidents. It is really important for him to get some allies in Congress, Democratic allies in Congress, to to help him on that waterfront. Uh, exit question: On a scale of one to ten, one saying we're going to stop dropping bombs within the first three months, or next three months in Iran, or ten being the president sits down with the Iranian mullahs and figures out some sort of peace deal. Where do we stand right now? on a one to 10 basis? Well, based on the scale that you've laid out, John, I would say chances are probably around a three. I think it's highly likely that there will be a military response in the, in the near term that you've laid out from the US. Johnny, so what do you think? Well, one that we bomb, 10 that we have peace. Well, I think that it, we're closer to peace, uh, but I don't think that 10 is gonna happen because I, I think that is where you blunder with the American people. I don't think you sit down with these guys, but. On that scale, you're looking you're looking about a seven. Short of sitting down with their leaders, I think that uh, this does not play out in, in a military way. I'm kind of at 50-50 here. I think that there's a chance that we're going to bomb, um, but I think there's a greater chance that we're going to do other things uh, like cyber attacks or have the Saudis bomb. So I would put it at a four. With that, uh, Johnny, so what are you buying or selling today? I'm going to sell. I'm going to sell. I'm sure uh, uh, many of you, I know the three of us, uh, were tuned in, at least uh, if not live, on the recorded version of the uh, House Judiciary Committee hearing uh, with Corey Lewandowski. And, and I, I sell it for a lot of reasons, but I'll try to keep it quick. Um, I'm not sure what the House Democrats' strategy was on this. What did they expect? You are calling before you a guy who is no more than a campaign advisor. He, he literally is a hired gun, a henchman, um, you know, a hatchet man. Call him what you will. And that's exactly what everybody knows according to Lewandowski's role is with Donald Trump, was with Donald Trump. He wasn't going to give an inch on anything. He was going to push back hard. And then in the end, the story becomes, oh, well, Corey admitted he lied to the media. Was that really worth all of that capital that they just spent on him? So I am selling the Demo House Democrats' strategy when it came to using all of that airtime 
with Corey Lewandowski. We also learned that he keeps guns in his safe, which I thought was interesting. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. Uh, Adam Belmar, what are you buying or selling today? I am buying one of the greatest views in all of Washington, D.C. It comes mm -hmm. atop the Washington Monument. If you've been up there at some point in your life, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, it's newly refurbished. It's taken years. It is a passion project, obviously, for the National Park Service. But uh, all of my friends in the media who went up on Media Day yesterday to the top to, to make pictures of that glorious view down the mall of the Capitol and across the ellipse to the White House, take your children, go up there. There is no more patriotic perch from which to view our capital city. Bye, bye, bye. I'm going to have to do that, but maybe in a couple of weeks after the explosion of people go this weekend, thanks to your admonition. That's right. I am buying the congressional football game. And the only reason I'm doing that, Congress, members of Congress and some of their uh, staff are playing a football game, touch football game, against the Capitol Police. And, you know, by and large, I'm going to root for the Capitol Police because, you know, I think everyone should. Um, that being said, I was at a rip-on society breakfast this morning, and Ken Harvey, the former uh, Washington Redskins player who is advising the uh, members of Congress who are playing in this football game, said something very profound. He said that when people get together and play sports, they don't look at each other as a color or as a, as a member of Congress or an ideology. They look at them as teammates. And I think that we all have to appreciate what sports does to create greater teammates among all of us in society. So I am buying the congressional football game. I think it's a good and it's for a good cause. And good on you, for, uh, Ken Harvey, for some good words. Not a big Redskins fan, but I like you, Ken Harvey. And with that, thank you for listening to the Fury Theory podcast brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means... Excellent for business. Yeah, baby.